Welcome to season two of the Let's Talk podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to be a person of faith in a culture against faith. Hey friends, let's talk about dieting as a New Year's resolution. But before we get there, I have to introduce my friend, Abby Walmack. Uh, you will notice that Clayton is not here. He is actually, ironically, on vacation. That's not how it was planned. But he's on vacation. And so Abby is here at the time of this recording. I Honestly, I don't know when this is going to go out because it was supposed to go out a long time ago and scheduling things happened. But Abby is here and I'm excited for her to be here. She is my friend. She is a dietitian in Houston. So Abby, thanks for being here and having me in your home uh, to record this podcast. Absolutely. It's an honor. So tell me, this series that we've invited you to be a voice into is dedicated to the conversation about New Year's resolutions and the idea that there were problems last year that we must fix because we have a natural uh, progression or uh, avenue of fixing them into uh, a new year. So do you, do you personally typically participate in New Year's resolutions? Yeah, so it's funny. I was having this conversation with some of my clients and I was asking people like, do people even do this anymore? Because it feels like like a boomer thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> to make New Year's <laughs> resolutions is like not cool anymore. Yeah, it's um, that. So everyone was like, I'm setting intentions, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, setting goals. Yeah, yeah, but we're using a different word. Um, so, you know, I like the concept of new year and new things. Like, I think that's great. But I do think that new the new year has been really hijacked by what I call diet culture, um, which is basically a culture that focuses on a few things. Number one, that being thin equals being healthy. Mm. Um, and number two, that food is moral. And so like you are a good or bad person based on what kind of food you eat. Um, and that, um, you know, food exercise and things like that determine your value as a person and your fitness level and things like that. And so, um, new year's has really become this time when, you know, you see all the ads for dieting and I mean, the diet industry is billions of dollars every year. And yeah. it's really just this huge marketing, uh, ploy to make people feel bad about themselves and choose to do something that probably isn't going to last and be sustainable. Yeah. Um, so not a fan of diet related resolutions. Yeah. Okay. So I get that. And if this doesn't work, I'll edit it out in post. But uh, do you know what percent of the diet industry is made up in the first six weeks of a new year? Because I think like I look at it and I'm like, every time the new year rolls around, I see all of these ads for like, hey, get 60% off if you buy the whole gym membership year, like the annual yeah, fee. Yeah. You, you get 60% off if you do yeah. it in the first six weeks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I knew that answer, but I would guess it's probably like at least 60%. Wow. Yeah. That's, that, that's just my guess. No, I get yeah. that. We guess on this podcast all the time. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't quote me on it. But we, yeah. Based on the number of ads that I saw, and I never even do things that would engage with that kind of algorithm. Like, yeah. even I'm seeing those ads, and, you know, people buy into that stuff. And it's just, it's like a very interesting cultural phenomenon that happens every year. And by the end yeah. of January, February, 
then we're kind of out of it, you know? Yeah, it, like, it goes away until, like, December 15th when we go, right. oh, yeah, what are my New Year's resolutions going right. to be after? Yeah. Like, when we've been a, a month into the Christmas and Advent yeah. season, Absolutely. it's like, now we're thinking about, okay, when yeah. is Christmas going to be over? Right. Yeah, and, and it's almost like paying penance for your sins of ooh, food that you committed yeah. over the Christmas season. Like, yeah. you know, okay. in the holiday, everyone's talking about, how badly they're eating and the diet they're going to start on January 1st. And so it's almost like this, it's like these two extremes, like right up next to each other. Yeah. I I have this thing that I uh, comment all the time, just honestly to shit on white evangelicalism. Um, (laughs) I love it. The idea that we at Thanksgiving can in our abundance brag about how much food we ate, which is technically a sin of gluttony and yet ignore like world poverty and like just the idea that food is readily available to everyone. That's a statement of privilege that I just don't think. Yeah, absolutely. And also I noticed you said the sin of gluttony. I love to talk about that. Oh yes. Come on, please (laughs) let me know. Give me all the things to correct my ideas. Okay. So when I used to be a part of the church, we would talk a lot about this. Like we never talk about the sin of gluttony and um, you know, it never gets talked about because it's uncomfortable, but you know, and you're the pastor. So correct me if I'm wrong, but um, whenever you hear gluttony talked about in the Bible, a lot of times it's not necessarily talking about eating too much food. It's talking about living in luxury whenever people are starving. That's like, exactly what it's, it's a question of justice, not ex- a question exactly, of consumption. Exactly. Yeah. You hit it right on the head. So people make it about, it's not about the food that you're eating in one sitting. Like, yeah. And there's something to be said about overeating. I don't think it's really spiritual necessarily. Yeah. It's like not listening to your body, but it's not a sin in my opinion, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. So I do want to get to your thoughts on diet, but you made a comment when you first started speaking um, about being a healthy person as a dietitian slash pseudo food therapist in your own words. Uh, what do you think makes a healthy person if you believe that dieting is not the only answer to being a healthy person? Yeah, well, this is a, actually, this question is a question I ask my clients a lot as like an open-ended thought-provoking question. Like, what is health to you? Yeah. Because I think. <laughs> Ozzy for the win. We have Onyx on the podcast quite often. It's okay. Okay, I love it. <laughs> it's my Aussie doodle. His name is Ozzy. He had something to say about that. He's dope. <laughs> um, so yeah, this idea of like, what is health actually? Um, because I think that it's a lot more than what you eat and how much you exercise. And we talk a lot about social determinants of health. And so getting into, you know, the, the type of neighborhood that you live in, your socioeconomic status, your access to healthcare and education, things like that. Yeah. Um, so the truth is there are a lot of factors that play into someone's health. And I guess maybe we could define that as their, um, how long they're going to live, disease-free, maybe. That's like a very, yeah. that's not how I would personally define health, but. It's a really risk-forward way of absolutely. evaluating life. Yeah, because yeah. we're all going to die, right? Like, <laughs> right, yeah. we, we try to put it off as long as possible, but like, it doesn't matter how many greens you eat, like you're going to yeah. die someday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The superfoods are not super yeah, forever. Yeah, so I guess, but to answer your question about what makes a healthy person, I think that in terms of diet, I mean, and I use that word to mean what you're eating from day to day, like not like going on a crash diet kind of diet. Not not like in a way of like I'm regimenting what I'm consuming, but in a way of like the food that I consume is my diet. Whatever your diet is, you know, um, I think that it's being able to listen to and follow the cues that your body is giving you. 
Oh, okay. Um, so everyone's body is different. And I tell my clients all the time, you know, I don't know what your body needs. I mean, I know some broad level things like, okay, fruits and vegetables are good for everyone. You know, um, plant-based things are good for our health. But um, I try to avoid calling foods good and bad because it creates this binary of like, you know, value and morality assigned to food. And I just don't believe that food is a moral thing whatsoever. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that any person can eat any food and it doesn't mean anything about them as a person. Um, I think that our bodies are very smart and our minds get in the way a lot because we have these psychological filters of like, this food is bad, this food is good. But the truth is, if you just listen to your body, then you don't actually feel like eating donuts all day, every day. Like yeah. it doesn't actually feel that good, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's where this paradigm called intuitive eating comes in, which is basically like your body is very smart. It knows the answers and you have to basically get out of your head and get into your body when it comes to food. So listening to when you're hungry, you know, and eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full and eating the kinds of foods that make your body feel good for the most part. And also recognizing food is a social thing and food is cultural and it's not just the nutrients that go into it. It's not just fuel. Um, a lot of people love to say like food is fuel and it is, but it's a lot more than that too. And so just recognizing the nuances of that will look different for each person. But I think healthy is, yeah, being attuned to your body's needs and being able to respond and recognize that food should hold its proper place in your life, not as the most important dominating thing that controls all of your actions. So what I, what I hear you saying is that a lot of our consumption is related to our relationship with the things that we consume. Yeah, I, yes, for sure. Cause it's so interesting. The research actually shows that if you tell yourself that a food is off limits and you can't have this food, it actually increases your cravings for that food. And so it's like, forbidden fruit phenomenon, you know, you can't have this, so you want it even more. Um, so whenever you restrict yourself a certain food, what usually ends up happening is that you have more cravings for that food because you have restricted. And then over time, your restraint wears down and you end up eating the food, but you end up eating way more than you normally would have because you had restricted the food. Yeah. And so creating all these rules around food really distorts our ability to hear what our body is saying. Because in that moment, let's say I haven't let myself have you know, cake for two months. And all I can think about is cake. Like in that moment when I'm finally eating cake, I'm not thinking about how I feel, how full I am. How is this going to make me feel tomorrow? Yeah, You feel depraved. You feel right. like you're just yeah, ready to pounce like, on whatever's yes, the thing like, I've been denying I'm myself. I'm coming up for water and yeah. I'm just gasping for air, you know? And so it's ironic, but all these rules that we make around food end up doing the exact opposite of what we want them to, um, wow. which ends up harming, harming everyone in the long term. So in, in what ways do you think diet culture and, and specifically the push around the first six weeks of the new year, give or take the first, you know, the ending three weeks of the previous year to get people geared up like a, it almost feels campaign like. Yeah, it totally is. That, that yes. we gear people up to, to do this thing and, and initiate and make a change in the new year. Um, yeah. In, in what ways do you think that, and, and that kind of impulsive relationship with the things that we consume is actually helpful to the person versus harmful. Yeah. Well, I think that it takes a long time to cultivate a good relationship with food, especially if you have 
done any sort of dieting in the past, which most of us have, honestly, Um, especially women are targeted by diet culture so hard. What's Um, what's that percentage? What what percent of people are impacted by gender differentiation? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone is impacted. I will say that. Um, But I think that maybe women are more traumatized on the whole. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. I would say, that, yeah, 1000%. I mean, I grew up as an athlete diet was very much a part of life. I ended up yeah. going to a new school and I got a customized protein shake in my morning in my locker yeah. every morning. Right. Like, and, and it was in high school. This yeah. is not legal. Yeah. Like you cannot do this. Uh, <laughs> And so, yeah, like they're gonna come for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're gonna come for me. Uh, so, absolutely, like, yeah, diet culture impacts everyone. But yeah. what, like, in that, I think that's the piece that I, as a pastor, am so fearful of. Is it's the traumatization, like the the experience of trauma, yeah, in diet culture and the ideas of the things that we eat and specifically denying ourselves and yeah. all all of this actually yeah. impacts your holistic person rather than just your body as right. Right. somatic yeah. Yeah. like experience. Yeah. I think it's so interesting because it intersects a lot with religious trauma in that Ooh. you're basically teaching someone you cannot trust your body. Like your body is bad and your your instincts are bad, your cravings are bad. And so yeah. you have to literally behavior modify yourself into being healthy and you're just constantly in this back and forth of like you know I want this I can't have it you know binging restricting things like that and I think it really mimics a lot of what a lot of us were taught in churches growing up that like we are bad like innately bad and our bodies are very bad and so it's interesting intersection for sure oh yeah the intersectionality between all things related to your person, the theological term for this would be theological anthropology. Like the experience of you, the anthropos, the human, the experience of you living and existing in your body that you've been given, that you have no control over. There's trauma associated with that, whether it's purity culture or whether it's diet, whether it's body image, whether it's, you know, uh, any self-confidence, any of it, uh, hell, even identity in Christ language that you hear from the pulpit, like all of that impacts the way that you interact with your particular body, which denies the most core part of who we are as humans and that we're affirmed in Genesis 1. The first thing before you ever get to God crafting Adam out of dust or taking his rib in order to make Eve, before you ever get to any of that, God made man and woman together in harmony with their bodies. Like like just to exist who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And we have created cultures that deny every element of that experience, including food, which yeah. ironically was restricted in Genesis 1 and 2 because in Genesis 2 we're told that you can only eat because, right. yeah. remember, the effects of sin yeah. are death. Mm-hmm. So you can't kill an animal to yeah. eat an animal. Yeah. You must only eat plants. That's the end of Genesis right. 2. Yeah, yeah, super interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that going back to your question about like, is this whole, this whole series of events, you know, between basically Thanksgiving, Christmas, yeah. holiday season, New Year's, like, is that healthy? And I think some of it's like, we can't get rid of it. And we kind of have to ride the wave, especially of like the holidays. Is, there's a lot of food around and yeah. it, it's yeah, maybe yeah. food that we normally wouldn't eat. It's like a lot of sweet yeah. and rich food. 
Um, and it's also celebratory. And I think that there's a place for that, but usually what I think it's a natural next step that let's just take the holidays out of it. Like, let's just say that you went on a trip and to some foreign country. And for some reason you weren't able to eat any fresh fruits and vegetables while you were there. Like when you come back, I guarantee you crave a salad, you know? Oh yeah. So it's literally a denial element. Like it's like all things in moderation, like the the things that are valuable in life you crave. And if you get them, you'll be satisfied. Exactly. Yeah. And also that our body naturally craves variety when it comes to food. So Right. So people go ahead, go ahead, <laughs> preach, preach. <laughs> so people are like, okay, but if I let myself eat all these quote unquote bad foods, then yeah. all I'm going to do is eat these foods forever. But the thing is yeah. you want, your body wants variety. So, you know, I call it the honeymoon phase of like people finally giving themselves permission to eat all foods. Uh, and yes, yeah. there's going to be a, a phase where you constantly eat that food because your brain's unlearning that trauma, right. Yeah. And rewiring itself. But when you get to the point where it's just food, then you're going to want something different the next day. And if you're not getting enough of certain nutrients, your body will make you crave that food, literally. Like if you're able to hear what your body's saying. So I think it's normal that after having a holiday season of eating these certain kinds of foods, that maybe you would come into January and you're like, you know, I kind of do want to eat a little bit different because I just, I would feel better. And I don't see anything wrong with that. But I think that the problem comes when number one, it's these really extreme and unsustainable things that people are doing. And number two, when it's focused on weight um i think that's yeah. the big problem yeah so i i will say just as a story you guys know i'm a storyteller um i grew up in very much so an athletic kind of culture um i spent several years competing as a martial artist grappling mma doing all the things and a lot of things that are associated with that is getting a larger person on a diet or a regiment that gets them smaller, faster. And I remember going to an event, a tournament and being put into a like stadium bathroom with a heater and a sauna suit and a jump rope. Yeah. Forcing myself to cut almost 20 pounds of weight. That's wild. Now, like, it's a really unhealthy relationship. I remember eating first thing in the morning. I woke up at 4.30 in the morning. I ate a single grilled chicken breast and a single measured cup of rice yeah. to start my metabolism right. in order to deprave it mm-hmm. for the rest of the day until I arrived in Dallas right. at the event center yeah. at 4 o'clock yeah. and still wasn't at weight. And so I locked myself in this bathroom with a heater and a jump rope and a sauna suit to cut 20 pounds in one day. I've talked to you about this one time when I've had (laughs) a little bit too much to drink. Uh, I don't think our bodies are designed to go through that. I I really don't think, like, if I believe, me as a person, if I believe that my body is made in the image and likeness of God, that me, the whole person, is made in the image and likeness of God, I, I don't think... God is that fluid. I don't think God's designed to be that fluctuating. Yeah. I don't I don't think I don't think God ever designed you to be that concerned with the thing that housed you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you hear about th- people doing things like that a lot in sports like wrestling or um, you know, where you have to make weight, like, you know, bodybuilding, yeah. things like that. And I work with eating disorders a lot and 
eating disorders in men don't get talked about a whole lot, but I feel like sports like those are really breeding grounds for eating disorders because your body doesn't forget that, you know? Um, And I've, I've worked with a lot of clients who have done bodybuilding and all of them will say like, there's not a single person, you know, I'm sure there's maybe a few, but there's not a single person in this sport who has a good relationship with food. Like, no, no, no. Food is very utilitarian. It's the thing I need to give myself protein and the right amount in order to make my body look the way it's supposed to be when actually, and this is the piece that me as the pastor has been like holding in forever, waiting to say, um, God never designed your relationship with food to be that way. Yeah. Judaism, the Old Testament, and even Jesus is participating in Judaism. Like we we mask over it because it's the Lord's Supper or mm-hmm. the Eucharist. Um, but that's him celebrating Passover. Like all of Judaism and all of the beginning of Christianity is rooted in the idea of festivals that we gather in celebratory moments around food. And I think I've talked to you about this just even in my own life. I'm so frustrated with my kids, my five and four-year-old, which I shouldn't be frustrated with. Um, so frustrated with them in, in their own current relationship with food because I want it to be a celebratory, like, holistic moment, and they just want to eat whatever, like, they want. They don't want to try new things. But the beauty, I think, of the way God designed it is that he, he she gave us immense variety amongst our food yeah. in order to have relationship with food in a way that's edifying that, yeah. that affirms you the person mm-hmm. that says hey i made you and i want you to be in tune with your body yeah and you should be able to eat whatever you want right which i really think if i can be honest specifically in white evangelical american culture i think it's a product of purity culture and yeah. that we're naturally supposed to des- to right. deny right. our body's yeah. needs yeah. sexually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. And also, like the idea that a thin body is beautiful is such like a Western idea anyway. Oh, it, you know? it's a modern idea. Yeah. Because if you remember back to some of the most beautiful art that we yeah. have in yeah. existence is the yeah. Renaissance culture, right. which praises women, which would now be called larger body. Right. Yeah. And it's strictly based on culture yeah. because they have the money to feed themselves totally. what they want. Yeah, so it's arbitrary, you know? Oh, it's 1,000% arbitrary and subjective. Yeah, but it's really hard to get out of that. I mean, it's the water we swim in, you know? Yeah, Yeah. but, you know, I think that it's all, it's like any other sort of um, bias that you're trying to unlearn. Like, you just have to be aware when you're having thoughts that fall in line with that bias and to just be aware of it and try to guide your mind in a different direction. But, you know, um, and I think that, you know, it's a, it's a definitely a different way of thinking about things to think that just because someone's in a larger body doesn't make them unhealthy or yeah. doesn't make them lazy. It doesn't make them a sinner. Yeah. You know, the church, I think, treats people in larger bodies really poorly. Um, Ooh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> come on. Preach, girl. Yeah. Um, but and so I understand if like people listening to this are like, you know what? This is wild. I don't I don't buy any of this. You know, yeah. haven't you heard the science? Um, but I think for me, it comes back to the truth that there's no evidence-based way of losing weight and keeping it off. Like Mm. literally no diet or if you want to call it a diet or not call it a diet, it doesn't matter. There's no method that works 
over a pe- over a long period of time, like five plus years. Oh, you know? oh, oh even five plus. Years. I was thinking yeah. like twenty five years. Right. No, yeah. five plus yeah. years. Because that's our, nothing, our bodies, and you think about a lifetime. That's right. nothing. Right. And our bodies are designed to maintain the status quo when it comes to our weight. And so a lot of the, the problem is not that people are trying to lose weight because I won't disagree that being at a higher weight is correlated with a lot of health issues. I wouldn't say that it causes them. Um, so we did, we did a series on this podcast about exercise and we titled it that way because cool. that's the natural yeah, yeah. thing. But actually a friend of yours convinced me to talk about it more as movement yeah, because yeah. exercise comes with this natural connotation totally. that we're going to go to the gym and we're going to lift right, weights right. and we're going to run on the treadmill. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, actually, maybe that's not the only way yeah. to accomplish yeah, totally. weight related yeah. issues for right. health and yeah. cholesterol. Yeah. And- so I think just trying to separate health from weight, like it, that's the biggest thing. If I could boil it down is like weight does not equal health and yeah. people can be in a larger body and do activities that promote their health, like, like exercise or movement or eating fruits and vegetables, eating plant-based foods, things like that, getting enough sleep, lowering their stress level, all of these things without changing their weight. And so the weight is, I think, more of like a symptom of all the other things that are going on in someone's life. And it's not the root cause that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that so many people have been through years of dieting and what we call weight cycling. So up and down and up and down. Oh, yeah. And that over Which time. just affects like self-image oh, and totally. self-confidence yes. and identity. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. But it also raises what we call your set point. So like your body's genetically predisposed weight range that it likes to fall in. Okay. So we all have one of those and it's supposed to work like a thermostat. Like if you get above or below it, your body kind of does things to put you back in that range. Okay. So, you know, if you get below that range, you start feeling hungry all the time. You feel tired, you feel cold, like your body's like trying to conserve energy. Yeah. Um, you can only think about food when you're above that weight range. It's supposed to, you know, make you feel more full or you're less hungry. You think about food less you want to move more, you know, but yeah. it goes back to being in touch with your body. If you're not in touch with your body, you won't know those things. So you yeah. could remain higher than your set point, quote unquote. But the, back to the weight cycling, that can actually raise your set point over time. So your body is like, has been through so much trauma that eventually it's like, we're just going to sit higher and we're, wow. I'm not going to allow you to lose weight and keep it off. And so yeah. actually the act of dieting and weight cycling ends up being more harmful in itself than just remaining at a higher weight. Yeah. So wow. That's insane. Man, yeah. I, I could have this conversation for an hour. <laughs> oh, oh my god. I got, especially I got like, on my soapbox. Yeah, especially <laughs> especially my own trauma related to like right. weight and athletics right. and all the things. I mean, I showed up to a new school and worked out one time and showed up the next day with a capsule of pills in my locker and a protein shake and I wasn't supposed to ask questions. That is bonkers. Uh so yeah, I like like <laughs> this whole conversation about I could I could have this conversation forever. Um but if you could tell one thing to one person questioning the idea of should me my person have a new year's resolution. We're cuz at the time of this recording, it's February 7th. At 10.45 p.m. And there are certainly people. I'm going to go ahead and make the declaration. I'm putting this podcast out next week on this one. So this will go out February 12th, I think. Um, uh, 13th. Sorry, 13th for the math. 
If you could tell one person today still struggling at the end of their New Year's resolution, one thing that you wanted them to know about the best way to have lasting effects for their holistic person related to their weight, their relationship with food, all the things, what would you tell them? Yeah. Well, I would say, first of all, if if someone has tried dieting as a New Year's resolution and now you're getting to the point where you're kind of faltering and failing at the diet, I would just say it's not your fault that the system of dieting is broken and yeah. it's the system itself and it's yeah. not, you are not the problem. Mm. Um, and I think for someone who's trying to, I mean, I also believe in self-determination. So if someone would like to diet, although I don't believe it's the best way to achieve health, that's their choice. And yeah. so, you know, but if someone's wanting to learn more about, you know, what would, what would look dif- How could I do something even different from this? Cause it's yeah. so like the main paradigm that it's like, yeah. how could I even fathom something different? You know, right. um, I would say if you're a reader, the books intuitive eating and then also health at every size are great places to start. Um, but if I had to just give like a little tidbit, I would say what I said earlier, like try to get out of your head and get into your body. Yeah. Um, and the messages that your mind is giving you about food, try to tune those out more and try to turn the volume up on what your body's actually telling you. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. Uh, Abby, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can, where can people find you? Where can people find more info about you? If, if we have people, I mean, cause we have at this point, we have hundreds of listeners a month. I don't even know how many, um, where could they find you if they felt like, hey, I have an eating disorder, I need a dietitian, I need some yeah. help. Where could they find you? Totally. Social media, yep. all Absolutely. the things. Yeah. Yep. So I do virtual counseling, um, mostly eating disorders and also just with people trying to repair their relationship with food. So if that's you, um, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is Abigail Womack, W-O-M-A-C-K. And then you can also go to our website. It's Mindful Eats with an S, nutrition.com. Um, and you can learn more. We have a whole team of really amazing dietitians and therapists that work with this issue specifically. Um, would be more than happy to help. Hey, friends. Love you. Stay current. Thanks for listening to the Let's Talk podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.